Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. I'm here with Matt and he's hot and heavy today. I couldn't figure out why, but now I know. Matt, I already know how you're doing, but I mean, besides what we're going to be talking about today, how are you doing? I'm a little hopped up on allergy meds, which might be part of of <laughs> my mannerisms and behavior. Okay. So there's that. Gotcha. But you know, otherwise, I got a good night's sleep. That's important. I had some fun watching the Super Bowl. Yeah. Two days from pitchers and catchers reporting. I mean, you know, the end of the football season is pretty much the beginning of baseball. So right, right. I'm ready to step into another great year. Good. No, that's exciting. Actually, going back to the allergy thing, I haven't come across that yet. But that would probably explain why my wife's voice completely got wiped going into Saturday, which never happens. She feels great, but all of a sudden her voice is gone. So I don't know. I feel like there's something there. But your voice is here, and it's clear and ready to tackle an important topic today. Why don't you go ahead, Matt? What's got you kind of on edge today? I'm so curious. I'm sure the listeners are too. I'm a little twisted off by a directional company I'm not going to name. It turns out that they've decided that they are mud experts and they're telling people that we work with that there are things wrong with our products without proof. Hmm. And I think that as we've discussed in podcast episodes in the past, we want to make the oil field better. We all want to get better at this. Right. And when we've been able to work with these directional companies and either help them solve an issue they're having, or, I mean, if it was a product issue, if it's a mixing issue that we need to get with the rig on, yeah, those are conversations that make the oil field better. Yeah. So I get a little twisted off when I catch wind of some of these things happening. Well, without, you know, and we'll go through kind of the situation here, but what I find, and you've been at this as, you know, long time as well, is... A lot of times uh, service companies are very short-sighted, right? It's like, what can we do in the immediate to either get past a certain problem or to just, you know, pivot around something or not take responsibility for something? And actually, you know, perfect example, I was with some customers over the last few days and, you know, I guess coincidentally, there was some discussion about directional and and again, without getting into the details, because this story is about what you're going to tell, but Operators get very frustrated and they start to get, they lose confidence when nobody wants to take responsibility for errors. And they always say, if people would just own up to it and then learn from it and try and get better and collaborate amongst the service companies, that would be far better than us having to play referee and then do our own damn homework to try and then figure out who or what is the root cause. And so anyway, but this is a good story. And and Matt, you know, you've told it to me now and we're going to go into it, but I think it's important for listeners to understand kind of what we're going through. And to your point is we don't get anywhere by deflecting and collaboration and getting better and learning and educating, whether it's other service companies or, you know, the reason why we do this podcast is to educate the audience. That's what it's all about. And so for the listeners, I'll let Matt kind of kick things off and then we'll walk through kind of what happened here. Yes. And I'll do a little more preface and just say, look, I know whenever I take pride in my work and somebody points the finger at me, I immediately get defensive. I think that's human. That's normal. That's natural. 
you have to take a step back and you have to say, okay, could I have done something better? Even if it's not my fault, could Mm -hmm. I have done something better or differently? And that's also like, you know, you've got to be ready and willing to do that. I think there's that initial reaction sometimes in the oil field. I think with directional companies in particular, it can be a tactic. I'm not, you know, I'm not, this is a broad brush, but in certain cases, you say, oh, it was a mud problem. And what that does is buy time to figure out what's really going on. Mm. And so, like, there is an element of that that's also possible, which is unfair to us, but it's been going on since people started drilling horizontally. And and the truth always wins in the end. It sometimes takes a while to get there, but ultimately the truth will win. (laughs) Yes. And so this story is one where I'd like to clear the record for our guys in the Northeast because they work so incredibly hard. Our guys in the, every, all of our engineers in the field, all of our field soups, our account managers, warehouse workers, you name it. If there is a way to support and defend you for doing a good job, I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> right. And so this is something that we hope helps set the record straight mm. because I will fight tooth and nail for our people when they're in the right. It's the same reason that I try and ask, you know, before we get into an investigation, do you think you did something wrong? Is there something, and maybe it's, you can ask, did we give you the right resources to do the right thing? Yeah. It doesn't have to be like, were you malicious or, <laughs> right. you know, but then we start digging into, you know, this particular story and it's, I feel like people painting an unfair picture of our people and the work that we do. All right. Well, now that everyone's popcorn's ready, go ahead and let's get into chapter or part one. Okay, so the saga begins. (laughs) An operator has multiple tool failures, which you've been on those wells, it sucks, right? You're coming out of the hole all the time. People are angry. Very costly. Yes, very expensive. And of course, everybody wants to figure out what's going on. And so the directional company looks at other nearby wells and concludes, of all things, that the low-gravity solids are not high enough on this particular well for the tool to perform, and that's why they've been failing. Hmm. And if we're opening with that, it gets worse, people. (laughs) So the operator says, okay, I'll buy that. You know, there's not a lot of other options. So we'll go ahead and allow the low-gravity solids to increase from 5% to 10% to help your tool work. What was the mud weight? Do you remember? Is it? I don't, but all that Northeast stuff, you know, 13, 14 pounds probably. Okay. Or heavier. So, you know, it turns out that doesn't work. So jumping right ahead, we go from those solids to gilsonite. Uintate is the proper generic term. Gilsonite is a product of the American Gilsonite Corporation, but I don't think Corey will care if I call it gilsonite. And the fact is we all call it gilsonite pretty much in the U.S. because there's one mine that is pretty easy to get. So I may use that interchangeable. We're just going to go with gilsonite. Okay. But the fun fact about gilsonite is we've got an episode on it if you want to know more. Mm -hmm. But gilsonite is inherently oil wet. So it disperses pretty readily in oil-based mud. And this is an oil-based mud job. And so they say, well, the problem is that the gilsonite's not mixing very well. So you need to use liquid gilsonite. Mm. Well, liquid gilsonite, if you remember back in that episode, is gilsonite that is used for water-based mud. The reason it is in liquid form is that it is dispersed to be water wet so that it will go into water-based mud. And real quick, the operator was taking the suggestion of this particular company by saying, hey, you should go to liquid gilsonite? They came to us and said, what do you think about this? Okay. And we pointed out the absurdity of it all. 
And, you know, we also, within this time, got samples of what was packing off the tool, which, going back to another podcast episode where we talk about what to do if you have a directional failure and some tips on that investigation. So we get the sample. We're still collaborating here, right? Right. We run X-ray diffraction, and what do we find? A ton of metal. So, and it wasn't even like... Sometimes you can find these things and it might be okay, you know, shavings from casing or, you know, over time, if you don't lose mud, like there's stories of that. It doesn't happen very often, but we actually found like large pieces. Hmm. So, well, you can use a, you know, x-ray diffractometer that costs tens of thousands of dollars. You could also just like (laughs) smush the powder apart and find like chips, which definitely did not come from casing. Hmm. And so we find that, and then the response is that actually there's magnetic material in all the bayrite and gilsonite, and that's what's causing this. Another fun fact, when you don't know what you're talking about, is that in the Northeast market, which is fairly isolated, everybody gets their bayrite and their gilsonite from the same place, which means everybody should be having this problem if this is true. Mm. And they are not. Mm. So guess what? The failures continue. (laughs) And guess what? The claim is it's got to be this Gilsonite. Right. So we get more samples. And guess what? They're pretty, they've got a lot of metal shavings in them. And there is a moment in time where this directional company acknowledges that this could be a tool issue. They say, okay, yeah, it could be. And, And the operator at this point has said, look, you know, AES, you guys have done what you need to do. I think we're done looking at the mud. So I'm curious. And, you know, again, playing, you know, because listeners out there might be curious. And I kind of had the question and I know somewhat of the answer. But, you know, in theory, could you take the metal and trace back, you know, like the metallurgy of where that came from? Like that's lengthy and probably costly. But there is a way to be able to identify exactly what that metal is or? It depends. It'd be a fair bit more intensive. Yeah. At the time, we didn't have our XRF, which might, you know, one, we'd have to have the directional company likely actually fess up on the yeah. composition of their metallurgies, sure. which you're probably not going to get because I'd consider that a, probably a trade secret. Gotcha. But we could also pretty clearly document that this isn't your run-of-the-mill carbon steel as well, you know, if we notice some of those rarer alloys present. Right. So it's not a given, but I probably could, especially now with some of our expanded capabilities. Very cool. So but we, it's not like, you know, and, and with that said, we can't exactly say what it is, but we can 100% say what it is not. Sure. And <laughs> I mean, look, if this would have been pressed even harder, like the most obvious answer was something was shredding itself apart in the tool and plugging it off. If we want to go into other suspects, I'm willing to jump down on the mat and you know, we can go through certificates of analysis of every product. I could tell you when it was manufactured and that it passed these different specifications. So, like, I could do that. It was just so obvious I didn't need to. Gotcha. Or at least I didn't think I needed to. Because at this point, believe it or not, you know, the directional companies run off. So, you know, all's quiet because their tools aren't there to fall apart. And so you know, we're back. And they say, look, we got a new tool design, not going to have any more of these problems. And so for context, how long was it before they tried to come back into the game? Nine months. Okay. That's enough wells to drill to probably identify if there was issues with something other than tools that would have reoccurred and probably happened at least a few times in that nine month period. 
Right. If it was our Gilsonite or our Bayright or whatever else, we would be the ones without any work. <laughs> we'll put it that way. You know, they come back and nine months, gestation period of a human baby, they've got a new baby <laughs> with a new tool design. You like what I did there? That was good. No, nothing weird. But, uh, but, uh, oh, sorry. But that, those meds are working, Matt. I love it. Keep going. <laughs> they then proceed to have four tool failures in 10 days. And I guess because their design must be flawless, it's really got to be our products now. Or that was the claim. And then we get into the part that really ticked me off. And that was when this directional company started approaching other operators. Mm. They have a tool issue on another operator. And they're like, aha, it's Gilsonite and it's got metal in it because nobody uses Gilsonite. Not that many people use Gilsonite. And I don't, I don't even think anybody in the Northeast uses a fluid loss additive other than AES. Once again, everybody's a mud expert when push comes to shove, right? Yeah. So if you understand how absurd it is to claim that fluid loss additives and especially Gilsonite aren't used in the oil field, I don't know. Like, it's just... They need uh, to listen to the flow line, clearly. Clearly. I mean... This may be the first episode, first and last episode they listen to, probably. <laughs> but, you know, so then we get the, not only do we get this, oh, yeah, you know, it's got to be that. But they begin approaching other customers or prospective customers of ours and warning them about our products. Yeah, that's a pretty huge line to cross. Because, you know, in our world, there's times where people, you know, blame other services. And that, you know... We defend ourselves, we gather information, we investigate, and we come up with, you know, our case or our position and we move on and, you know, things typically work themselves out. But once you start doing something like that, that then can impact, you know, the business that can impact relationships again, to which like that just to me is very absurd. And I don't know why a company would continue to do that. I mean, I mean, look, that's food on the table for our mud engineers. Okay. Like this is where I get hot and heavy allergy meds or no. Yeah. And it's, you know, Oh, I Googled it and it could be the softening point. But you know, the thing is this circles back to trust as well, because how do we find out customers approach us and say, Hey, you wouldn't believe what these people are saying. Mm. It wasn't, Hey guys, do we have a problem? Right. It was, look, they've said some things that are so absurd and you need to be made aware of it. You know, one of the, I mean, it, it was just unreal to see, you know, this kind of inkling, like one email we, we saw was like, I don't believe this is widely used. You know, Gilsonite isn't widely used. I don't know if you've ever seen, you haven't seen this as Spinal Tap. You know, that these amps go to 11. Okay. Uh, yeah. Get on YouTube and watch that clip. In fact, after we record this, we're walking to your office to watch that. But <laughs> okay. this is Spinal Tap is this mockumentary about a like a British, you know, band kind of trapped in the eighties going through the US. Their shows keep getting canceled and their manager, like they they're like, Oh man, our show in Boston got canceled. Their manager is like, Well, don't worry about it, guys. Boston isn't really a college town. Uh, <laughs> you know, just so absurd and yeah. like that like that's that was immediately my thought. I can um, see, okay. I see, I get the parallel there, yes. <laughs> yeah. And you know, this is just so frustrating. One, because obviously when this started to look really bad, we were separated from the process where claims were made about our products mm -hmm. without the conversation. Right. The other thing was, you know, I never, maybe if I had I'd seen a lot of failures with a tool, I might be on alert about that with a customer, but I don't think I'd, you know, go around and go to all our customers and be like, hey, 
make sure you don't use this tool. Right. And not only that, but I know other people are using a, a similar tool and other in the same area and not having issues. Right. And so the problem is it takes us years to build the kind of trust where our customers tell us about these things. Mm-hmm. And it's because we do our best to be very honest with them. And if they're, we've made mistakes. I've been here and I've had to go into a customer's office and say, I'm sorry. And lo and behold, it turns out that when you apologize, if something happens, your customers extend more grace to you, right. generally speaking. Like they're going to be mad and they have a right to be mad. And there may be financial implications to that. There may be other things that are circumstances, conditions, what have you, you name it. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm, I don't want to say anything too specific here because everything's different. Yeah. But, you know, we get to still work for some of those folks. And when someone says, hey, you can't trust these folks, you need to be warned about this. When it is clearly not true, and we have asked, please stop saying these things, or if you have a serious issue with our products, let's talk about it. Yeah. And we don't get a response, we make a podcast about it. Right. No. It's again, I think you dropped the mic there. And again, it's frustrating because when you, again, to your point, when you build and establish yourself in a reputation for someone to come around and try and ruin that. Yeah, it's a tough pill to swallow, even though, like you said, we do everything that we can within our control to do the right thing every time. You know, we've got an extensive quality control program. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, making claims that aren't true just to, I guess, deflect a problem that is a good chance yours. Yeah, we obviously take it serious and we're going to do what we can to create, you know, create some awareness around it and make sure it doesn't happen, hopefully, but I appreciate you sharing that, Matt. It's again, you know, I know everyone up in the Northeast probably appreciates it. Yeah. Any sort of closing last words? I mean, you basically summed it up there towards the end. I mean, I guess if you know who you're talking about, if you listen to this and put everything together and we're trying to still be the better person on this without naming names and doing any of those things. But, you know, you still have a chance to reach out. We don't like the way this is being handled. And we would like to do it differently and we would welcome just more honesty and integrity across this. Yeah. And so I just want to emphasize that that door is open if you want to walk through it. And then the flip side of that is if you don't, please stop. (laughs) Yeah. Or we'll do a round two. (laughs) But yeah, no, that's a good point, Matt. I think when, if there's problems out there, it's best just to approach it talk to us or if you're, you know, if you're a part of a company and you're, you know, you feel like there's something that you need to discuss on, you know, with another service company that you've, that with the same customer, do that. Like customers don't want to have to play referee and they surely don't want to get drug into that type of mess. So with that said, everyone really appreciate you listening. Uh, would love to hear any feedback. Yeah. This was a good, this was a good episode. You know, or if you have a similar story, you know, if you want to just vent and say, mm-hmm. you know what, I appreciate you bringing that to light. Cause I had the same situation, you know, don't air out your dirty laundry too bad. But, you know, we're always interested to kind of hear people's takes. And if you have any questions, thoughts, or any ideas for a show outside of what we talked about today, again, some of the best episodes are from listeners' questions, mm. whether you be at Mud Engineer, Drilling Engineer, or anyone just interested in the fluids world, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us online on LinkedIn, or if you want to email us at the Podcast at aesfluids.com. 
Really appreciate it. And if you could subscribe to the YouTube channel, check out our website. You know, if there's some of the products that you hear us list, again, we don't do it very often, but you know, we got a lot of information online with any type of products we do have. And with that being said, everyone, spring's around the corner. Hopefully this February cool weather starts to shake out. And to Matt's point, we got catchers and what? Pitchers and catchers report in two days. Okay. We'll be hearing about that next week, folks. And with that said, take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.